The first Bible reading today comes from John chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, and that can be found on page 929 of the Church Bibles. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. I have revealed to you, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted, accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, for those you have given me, for, given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Morning, everyone. I'm going to read the second Bible reading from Matthew 6, chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, and you can find that on page 832. It's Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Thanks, Tan. Thanks, Rach. Good morning, everyone. It's a great joy to be here with you this morning. I love to pray as we open up God's Word, so let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us together. We pray that as we spend a few minutes dwelling and meditating on your word, that you may speak to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit and for the glory of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. A few years ago, the Microsoft founder, um, Bill Gates, said these words in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine. He said... The mystery and beauty of the world is overwhelmingly amazing and there's no scientific explanation of how it came about. To say that it was generated by random numbers, that does seem, you know, sort of an uncharitable view. I think it makes sense to believe in God, but exactly what decision in your life you make differently because of it, I don't know. I suspect that's actually the view of a lot of people in the world today, that it kind of makes sense to believe in God, that science doesn't explain everything, that it makes sense to believe in a creator, but what difference does that actually make to my life, to believe in God? A few years ago, I was in Specsavers buying um, new glasses, and uh, I could see that something weird was happening in the shop. There was lots of staff in this really small shop. There there was a cake, there was uh, balloons, there was a celebration, there was champagne in the Specsavers. And uh, this uh, shop attendant came up to me and she said, are you buying glasses? I said, yes, I'm buying glasses. And she said, would you like to be styled by Alex Perry? And I said, who is that? (laughs) And then... Uh, She explained that he was one of Australia's leading fashion designers and I thought this is my opportunity to let myself out quietly so I went home and Googled him and realised I'd missed a big opportunity, I'd missed a big moment for myself. That is how so many people think about God, that there's some celebration going on every Sunday for him, there's a big deal about God But what difference does he actually make to my life? What difference would it make to actually believe in God? What's worse is that um, explaining God as Father, Son and Spirit as the Bible uh, shows him to us actually seems to be kind of confusing. And that's a part of Christianity we kind of like to hide away. We don't bring the Trinity out into the open. We're maybe even a bit embarrassed about it. But I want to today briefly show us and look together at how God is revealed as our Father in the Scriptures. That's what I want to think about this morning. Uh, The question today is, how do we relate to God as our Father? And the first thing I want you to see is that the loving Father is revealed to us by his beloved Son. If we want to know God as our Father, we first need to know that Jesus is his beloved Son. And it is through Jesus that we come to know God as our Father. We don't just kind of take our personal ideas about fatherhood and put them onto God. We don't take our personal experience of being fathers or having fathers and put that onto God. We take it from Jesus himself. 
Some time ago, my um, car went in to be repaired, and on the Uber drive um, home, I got talking to the driver and uh, told him I was a pastor, and he explained to me that he was part of a Christian church in Sydney. And I thought, well, I've got a captive audience here, so I'll take a moment to ask him some questions about God. And I said, what, what, what difference does it make that God is your father? And he said to me, uh, this means that I take God for granted just like my son takes me for granted. And I thought, that's not the can of worms I was thinking I was going to open up. But what that man said might be true for him, but I'm not sure that's what the Bible means when it tells us God is our father. John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus famously said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But what does he mean by that? What does that actually mean? Let's read some more verses. John chapter 1, verse 18, No one has ever seen God, John tells us. The one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. And in the passage that we read this morning from John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. In these verses, we get a glimpse into Jesus' unique and special relationship with his Father. He kind of takes the curtain back so that we can see into how he relates with his father, and it's a relationship that existed before the world existed. And what this tells us is that in eternity itself, as far back as you can possibly stretch your mind to think that the father and the son existed together, and that God wasn't hanging out in the universe by himself as a loner, but God was in perfect relationship in and of himself. It's not like God thought to himself, gee, I'm really lonely here in eternity and I might create a world and some people to fill a void within me. No, God was perfectly in relationship in his own being. And what does that relationship look like? There are many things that we could say about it, but one of the key things is that it is a completely other person centered and focused relationship. It's, it's one where the Father and the Son and the Spirit put each other before one another. In John 17, verse 10, Jesus says, Everything I have is yours, he's speaking to the Father, and everything you have is mine. It's hard to illustrate this because all human analogies break down because we don't have any human relationships like this. Nothing even comes close. Even the best of our relationships are not like this. Where everything is shared and nothing is held back from each other. And But we do get glimpses of it. We just get small glimpses of that. Maybe it's the person who's door is always open to you to come around. Maybe it's the person who's always a listening ear, ready to hear whatever you want to share. And maybe in people like that, we just get a small glimpse of our father and his relationship with his son, where they 
where the father always gives over to the son and he's always considering the son and he's always sharing with the son and always with the son's highest good in mind. There's no secrets, nothing hidden between them, nothing held back, nothing uh, that is off limits. It's pure intimacy, pure love and relationship. That is who our God is. That's our Heavenly Father and his relationship with his Son. And especially in John's Gospel, we just get these glimpses of that relationship. This is what distinguishes Christianity from other religions. It's ultimately that the God of the Bible is a relational God, one who is love in his being. He's not merely just a God or a deity or a divinity he is our Father. And this is what distinguishes God from the, the Allah of the Quran. Because I'm, I'm going to quote from an influential Muslim scholar, uh, Abu Hamad al-Ghazali, I think that's right, who said, God does indeed love them people, but in reality there is nothing other than, he loves nothing other than himself in the sense that he is the totality of being and there is nothing in being apart from him. To see a God of love, you need to meet the God of the Bible. You need to meet the God who is in three persons, Father, Son and Spirit. The God who shares love and relationship in and of himself for all eternity. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? You remember how he begins the prayer, Matthew 6, verse 9. You should pray like this, our Father in heaven. Jesus reveals God as Father to us. He's known him in eternity and he reveals him in human history. It's the first thing I want us to see. The second is that when we look at our universe, we should see it as God's Loving gift, the loving gift of the Father to the Son, the Father who creates and sustains the universe because of his loving nature. Richard Dawkins is the um, contemporary British atheist and biologist, and he has said, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. I wonder how he would go at a kid's birthday party. <laughs> I know this is a, a, seems like a great day, sweetie, but at the end of the day, it's blind, pitiless indifference. The biblical view is so different. It tells us that creation is an overflow from the loving father as a gift to his son, it's a creation, yes, marred by human rebellion now and by our sin, by evil, but not at the bottom, blind, pitiless indifference, but God's loving gift. If you read with me Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, uh, Paul is writing about God's Son here, and he says this, For everything was created by him, that's Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The universe is the gift of a loving father to his son. And as God keeps the whole world going for his son, he does it all uh, out of love and this spills over to us. And we benefit. It's like God has thrown this enormous party for his son and we are invited into the party to benefit from this gift. So if you look at birds and mountains and rivers and oceans, if you look at the beauty of creation, don't just think this is a random beautiful thing. Think this is a gift of a loving Heavenly Father. And because God is a loving Father, creating and sustaining this universe is absolutely in line with his character. Let's read those words again from Matthew 6.25. Look at the birds of the sky, says Jesus. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labour or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? When we look at the world, we see this universe teeming with life and beauty and colour. It's like this is the the garden and God is the divine gardener. It's like the skies are his aviary. It's like the ocean is his aquarium. And God does it out of care for us wonderfully and generously. So we need to open our eyes to see everything as this gift of the loving Father to his Son overflowing to us. God is the Father who's through, through whose words the planets were formed and the Father who's put more tones into a sunset than an artist could ever put on a canvas. He's uh, the one who sustains every whale and dog and cat and horse and mollusk and all the things at the bottom of the ocean that you can't even see unless you put scuba gear on and go down and look at them. That is God doing it all keeping it all going in his fatherly goodness. But you might say, well, right now, the start of this new year, I don't have a good outlook. And to be honest, life looks more like what Richard Dawkins is describing, blind, pitiless indifference. And it is true that creation is not ultimately how it's meant to be. And it's not the ultimate display of God's love and his goodness. Our lives and this creation are frustrated by sin, are frustrated by brokenness, are frustrated by difficulties. And they're insufficient to show us the absolute fullness of God's fatherly care. For that, we need the ultimate display of God's love. We need the cross itself, and that's the last thing I want to look at today, that it's in the death of Jesus 
where the Father's love truly overflows to us. I just want to read two verses, and maybe these are really familiar verses, but I invite you to read them again with me this morning. For God loved the world in this way, John 3.16. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's in the death of Christ where God's love is put on full display. If in the creation we have God's love in standard definition, then in the cross we have it in 4K, ultra-high definition, or OLED, or whatever the thing is now. The perfect son dies the death that we should have died, the death for sin. He gives himself up in obedience to his father so that we might be reconciled to God. He seeks the, the father's glory and he dies in our place so we can experience God's love fully. So we go from culprits to children. We go from foes to friends, from adversaries to associates with God. Do you remember a few years ago there was those 13 boys trapped in the cave in Thailand? And wasn't it amazing to see the international rescue effort to get those boys out? Most of us just look on the couch, watch TV and say, I hope they're okay, and then we go back to normal life. But some people... Some people did something to save them. There were 10,000 people involved in that rescue. There were 100 divers, many, many rescue workers, 100 government agencies, 900 police, 2,000 soldiers, 10 helicopters, 700 diving cylinders and a device that pumped a billion litres of water out of the cave. And even Elon Musk showed up at one point to try to help. Most of us just sit back and say, I hope they're okay, but some people got on a plane and rescued them. And that is what God's like. He doesn't just sit back and say, these people are separated from me because of their wrongdoing, their sin. He sent his son in agreement with him willingly to step into our mess, our sin, our brokenness, into this world of darkness, headed for death, under the judgment of God, and in the, the Son's work, through this other person-centred relationship, God's love was put on full display for us. And anyone who has faith now in the Son of God will be saved. Saved from death, saved from sin, saved from God's judgment forever. J.I. Packer has said this. He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Do you know who can go up to Buckingham Palace and go through the doors and come through all the guards and go straight into King Charles 
and speak with him? It's his children and his grandchildren. Well, most of them. (laughs) In Christ, we can throw open the doors to heaven and rush up to God and we can say, Father, and come into his presence. We don't have to have a secret password. We don't have to do anything special. You don't have to say a secret formula of words in a prayer. Just go to the Father through Jesus and address him. And he welcomes us. And maybe at the start of this year you're excited about that and you can't wait this year to get to know God better. But it's possible some people are not excited about that. And and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how we feel. These things are true because this is who God is and this is how he has declared himself to us. In fact, let me share with you how one very depressed man worked this out. His name is William Cooper. I want to say Cowper, but it's Cooper. And he wrote a hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. In the second last verse he writes, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Often from our vantage point, life and the things that are coming at us looks like a frown. The frown of providence. And Cowper says, Cooper says, it's a feeble sense. Our eyes, our senses let us down. Because as we look at the world, those things, how we perceive things are feeble. We don't have God's view. But Cooper says, God is lovingly smiling at us behind those clouds, behind those awful things that are coming. And we look at those clouds and we're filled with a horrible sense of dread, maybe. But he says they're ready to break open with mercy over your head because that is who our Father is. Cooper was so depressed at points in his life that he attempted suicide. And yet through all these things, he held on to God's love as his father. And he's a model to us that in the depths of tragedy and brokenness and difficulties and pain and whatever's coming for you this year, that we can enjoy a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Nothing can take that away because our faith is in him. In the Lord Jesus, it's not in ourselves. And that is the answer for us when the world just looks more like Richard Dawkins' view of the world. That's what we need to hold on to, the provision of our good Father in heaven. And the first step to being personally changed by that love is just spending more time thinking, soaking in it. It's interesting how people get keen on a sporting team, isn't it? Um, They might talk to a friend who likes this team or they might um, 
catch a game somewhere and then next minute they're Googling the, the results and then they're looking for a subscription to the services and then they're asking for the jersey for Christmas and then they're getting the season ticket and then they're just immersed in this team, they're wrapped up with them. The same happens with so many things, music and food and whatever, coffee, podcasts, crochet. As we look at God this year, as we grab a bit of time in his word, whether it's on the train ride to work or in the car when you're driving, whether it's meditating on him and his character at night while others are asleep in your home, whether it's singing songs of praise here on Sundays together, in, in your connect group, talking, thinking about these things, praying for each other, our view of our Father grows and we can see more of him and he becomes bigger inside of us. The truth uh, grows inside of us and we, we get more glimpses and we want to drink in more and then we're suddenly thinking, how can I spend more time seeing my Father and speaking with my Father and and how can I imitate him more in my speech and in my relationships? And how can I just maximize the time that I can be with him and serve him and enjoy him? And suddenly our eyes are fixed on Jesus and his Father and the Spirit. And we can't get enough. He's a loving Father and he's given us full access to him through his Son. So let's go to him. And when we see the beauty of the world, let's remember that it's God's gift. Let's go to him in Jesus and celebrate, relish him, relish his care for us and his goodness to us and keep enjoying our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, this morning for this reminder of who you are. And we thank you that uh, you allow us to come to you freely without doing anything special, to uh, hear from you in your word, to speak to you in prayer, uh, to walk with you. And, Father, we pray that this year for each person in this room and in our church might be a year of getting to to know you more as our Father who loves us. And we pray that more people in our community, in our city, would come to know you as their Father who gave his Son so that we might have life with you forever. Uh, We praise you for these things, Lord. We uh, don't deserve it, but you have been so gracious to us. And we praise you for who you are in the core of your being. And we just thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen.